Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. Uh, Once again, I am Mallory Ortberg, otherwise known as Dear Prudence. We are back with another episode, Chock-A-Block with Advice. Uh, This week in the studio with us is our guest, Lisa McIntyre, who is a wonderful person and who I look forward to fighting with. Uh, That's going to be fantastic. And before we get started, I want to give you all a piece of general life advice. If you would like to incorporate more joy into your week, I strongly recommend that you go see the audience at Bad Moms. I'm going to try to do everything by myself today. This should be fine. I don't encourage that you see the movie Bad Moms. Uh, Maybe you want to see it, maybe you don't. I've seen it twice now, not because I think it's an especially good movie, but because the first time I was so overwhelmed by the feeling that I had accidentally stumbled into church. And I mean that in the best possible sense, that I could not help but go back a second time. Guys, everyone who's going to see Bad Moms is so happy to be there. They have been waiting their whole lives for this moment. It was like seeing Magic Mike again, which, again, not to say that Bad Moms is anywhere on the level of Magic Mike, but every single man, woman, and child in that theater was having the time of their life. It was like everyone had just come from a bad divorce and was just like, you know what? I just want to watch Mila Kunis put on a pantsuit, spill some coffee on herself, and then later get oral sex. No BHA, no BHT, no sesame, no soy, and of course, no nuts or eggs or milk or butter or salt or sugar or wheat. No. What's that now? I'm so tired of trying to be this perfect mom. I'm done. Uh, And that's exactly what they got. And there's nothing I love more than watching other people experience joy. And I got that so deeply in the Bad Moms audience that uh, even if you think it's not a movie that you would enjoy, I I do recommend going probably to a matinee and just watch the people watching Bad Moms. Bad Moms. Oh, I'm in. To Bad Moms! That's all the advice I have for you right now. Uh, I do want to, before we get started, thank you all for uh, giving us your feedback on that HR question we asked recently. Lots of you wrote back. Lots of you have many thoughts and feelings about HR, which was part of my plan all along. And uh, I did want to read one letter I got that felt very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Representational of of the letters as a whole. It, it's I've seen this letter a lot. And this this, I think, will interest some of you. Dear Prudence, I spent 23 years in a corporate environment, spending 11 of those years in senior management and executive positions before taking retirement. I also spent 22 years working with companies ranging from mid-sized to extremely large on a variety of business problems. In my experience, the notion that the human resources functions exists first and foremost to benefit employees is a delusion. I don't think serving employees ever was the purpose of HR and not one I have ever seen in practice. HR exists to assure process effectiveness and legal compliance in employee-related matters, such as recruiting, hiring, orientation, benefits, training, payroll, and performance. These are areas where the company can get into big trouble with potentially huge financial penalties if it violates legal boundaries. It does not exist to assure employee happiness, job satisfaction, or career path optimization. It does not exist to resolve employee workplace conflicts. 
such as coworker friction, perceived supervisory conflict or unfairness, or failure of the work unit to accommodate an employee's preferences and sensitivities. If you are receiving illegal discrimination, racial, religious, age-based, etc., or harassment, sexual or otherwise, or are receiving treatment not reflecting the company's policies, go to HR. If it's anything else, HR is not the place. If your boss doesn't like you, doesn't communicate with you, or doesn't understand you, HR is not the place to take your grievances. Always remember, HR works for the company, and its top priority is looking out for the company's interests, not yours. What I'm addressing is not what HR could or should be, but what I have observed as the prevailing norm. So there you have it. There's a pretty clear division of powers. If someone's doing something illegal, you can go to HR. If not, go somewhere else. Lisa, is that your experience with HR? Well, what comes to mind is that um, HR is not the preferred terminology in Silicon Valley. Oh, my. Uh, In Silicon Valley, it is people operations, which I kind of love. That sounds like the people mover, that old ride at Disneyland that that one lady got smushed by. Exactly. Or I think about like little... Little Lego figures. Somehow you're you're operating the people and arranging them in the little slots. It's certainly a little vaguer than human resources, which I would have thought a difficult trick to pull off. Yeah. But um and then you shorten it to people ops and um then you're you're good to go and you can disrupt on your merry way. Great. Now all I can picture, by the way, is uh Lando's assistant from Cloud City, the guy who had the <laughs> sort of little um uh, mechanism implanted in the back of his head and he mostly just blinked. I, I'm sure that's what they had in mind. That's that's HR. All right. Just a guy with a big People mechanism operations. on the back of his head wishing he could help. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. I don't I don't mean for this podcast to to come down on HR. Um, but it, it definitely seems like I, I mean I remember my previous office jobs where at least for lower level employees, the sort of idea was, oh, yeah, HR is probably there if I have a problem that I can't talk to you about my boss with. And it seems like maybe part of the problem, at least, is just this misperception of what HR can and can't do. Sure. And it also seems like the kind of misperception that comes with being a younger employee, perhaps, of thinking that there's going to be some kind of referee for you. Also, capitalism ruins us all. Yes is, I think, the real lesson to be drawn from this. The modern workplace is a hellscape, and uh, it's a miracle that any of us make it out alive. Except for mine. Except for yours, which I'm sure is great. And you have to say for fear of being fired and not being able to take care of yourself, which is why capitalism is, (laughs) as mentioned previously, a hellscape. (laughs) I... I take the fifth. Sorry to all the robber barons who listen to this show. <laughs> I I apologize uh, for hurting your feelings. Anyway, so yes, as I said, this is Lisa McIntyre. She, as you might have guessed, works in Silicon Valley. She also lives and loves there, presumably. And uh, you've held a number of jobs in your day. Do you want to talk about any of them? Or would you rather talk about something else? Hmm. I have held a number of jobs. Um, or have they held me? Oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. I feel like I said. Was her up I for not this. here for puns? Or <laughs> I I mean it was wonderful. I thought that's why I was brought on. It was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Um I wish now that I'd given I'd got more uh workplace questions. Although we actually do have one that is kind of about working from home, which I'm really <laughs> looking forward to answering uh with you, but it unfortunately also involves a lot of other issues. Dear Prudence. My 18-year-old has some anxiety and depression issues. She's in therapy, takes medications, etc., but she has trouble keeping a job. Recently, she decided to try working as a phone sex operator. 
I don't have a problem with that in itself, but she lives with us, and so do her minor siblings. We struggled with allowing her to do this, and finally decided that as long as no one else was home, she could go to work, but the other condition was that she not discuss it with the younger kids. I've now found out that she shared her occupation with the children who are under 18 of family friends, explaining how it works and how she gets paid. I feel that this shows a lack of judgment on her part, and I no longer trust that she is not discussing it with her siblings and step-siblings, or working only when no one else is around. We have asked her to find some other employment, that she can no longer do this job under our roof as the kids shouldn't be exposed to this, and she could possibly be charged with something. Are we overreacting? Well, that is a cornucopia of issues. It sure is. Yeah, get us started. Lead us, lead us on. Okay. All right. I will take the charge here, and I will say I think that the job is a distraction from what is actually happening here. Because I think the job is not a distraction, so I'm very glad that right out the gate we're in disagreement. Okay. So I say it is a distraction because the issue is really this 18-year-old has a lack of boundaries with children and specifically her siblings. So, But, hang on, this is mm-hmm. important. She did not tell her siblings. She has not violated their agreement. She told the children of family friends. Oh, true. Who, I mean, it's certainly possible that they're very young, although I feel like had that been the case, it would have been included in the letter. It sounds like she was having a conversation with some peers, like other teens who were maybe close in age to her. Uh, it does say she discussed it with children under 18 of family friends. Okay. Yeah. So, un- so this, yeah, she did under not eight- tell her siblings. Okay. Under 18. Yeah. That's kind of, I immediately went to kids, but maybe she's telling it to 15-year-olds. And then it makes it sound like the mother is more concerned. Could be, could be a father. Just want to throw that out there. True. Oh, gosh. I am, I am making assumptions left and right here. Um, Happens to the best of us. Okay. Plowing ahead. It seems like there's still just boundary issues about what is appropriate and to whom does one discuss certain details of your life. Sure. So that's why I'm saying I'm not sure the issue is the job. It's that it's more about what may or may not be appropriate for talking to people. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my initial reaction. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to come down excessively hard on the parents in this situation because it sounds like they are trying uh, to deal with a situation that they find really challenging, which I understand. Uh, but I do just want to preface this by saying, um, and I know working as a phone sex operator is not the same thing as traditional sex work, but it is sex work adjacent, the same way that like stripping and dominatrix work often gets lumped in with this sort of category of um, it's it's demonized. It's often like uh, treated in a really different way from other work. And I just want to urge you, your daughter is just now 18. She has a depression and anxiety. She has trouble holding down a job. If you were to even, you know, the the suggestion at the end of the letter, right, is she can't do this in our home, so we might have to kick her out. I would really strongly discourage you from considering that. It sounds like that would, you know, uh, push her further away from a safety net, uh, push her further away from people that she's close with, um, and make it difficult for her to make a living. Um, And I think that often happens with young people um, who are engaging with either sex work or sex adjacent work, um, where if they try to talk about it with their family and friends, um, even with the kind of people who try to think of themselves as open minded and liberal, they're they're saying like, we're trying to be cool with it. But oh, my God, she told someone who might be under 18, should we kick her out of the house? 
no, no, you should not. Um, and, and I think that to say because she told some friends that that means she's doing this work when her younger siblings are around sounds a little bit like a moral panic to me. Like, that doesn't actually mean that she's violated the terms of your agreement. It might mean that you need to have a serious conversation and say, hey, we didn't specify this before, but we actually really don't want you telling family, friends, children, even if they're your peers, um, because we would rather not be telling people under 18, which is, I think, fair. Um, Like, have that conversation. Ask them, like, why did you want to tell them? Were they asking you? Had they found out from someone else? Do you feel like you can't talk to people about this? And so you were really looking for someone to share this with? Like, how are you doing? I I think this is a kid who needs a lot of support, not like, hey, if you fuck up again, if you don't follow this rule, like, you're out. Um, it It doesn't sound like you have any cause to believe that she's working when the kids are home. It doesn't sound like you have cause to believe that she's telling her little siblings, like, um... I would I would urge you not to look at this as an opportunity for punishment, but for asking a lot of questions and asking what else she needs. Like, is she does she feel safe when she works? You know, does she want to keep doing this job? Does she feel like this is her only option? Does she feel like it's helpful to her with her anxiety and depression? Like, try to find out how she feels about her work and if she would like uh, kind of more assistance with her mental health diagnoses. Like, I, I think one of the worst things you could do is say to your daughter that you know is depressed and anxious. Um, you're on really thin ice and uh, because you told other people who are maybe a little bit younger than you, we think you've somehow implicitly violated this agreement we've had and we're we're going to bring down the hammer. There seemed to be some kind of concern. I almost feel like the, the letter writer was concerned about possible legal ramifications. Yeah, or being some, a phone like, sex operator is not illegal. And nor, I mean, nor is telling other people... That right. that is your occupation. Well, so I, think, I feel like that, you know, try to focus back on the mental health of your of your daughter mm-hmm. and making sure that she has what she needs, um, being supported and, you know, finding some way that she can, you know, have a uh, successful and, you know, hopefully at some point more independent life. Yeah. And I think, too, the underlying thread of this letter to me is like, I don't have a problem with that in itself. But and then there's this really heightened anxiety. Right. Oh, she told somebody who's maybe under 18. Maybe that means she's not doing any of the things she agreed to. Maybe that means I can't trust her. Um, and like that suggests to me that you're not as OK with it as you would like to be. And that's OK. But you need to be honest with yourself about that. And you need to share that with like other adults, maybe a therapist in a healthy way that doesn't put a lot of that burden on your daughter, um, because what she needs right now is support and not like you're this bad person now that you're doing phone sex operate, operator work and we're worried you're corrupting little kids. And um, like, it's pretty appropriate, I think, to say we don't want you to tell your younger siblings. Sure. I don't think that that's uh, like unnecessarily shaming. But I think you also really need to be clear with her about like, what are your goals and hopes? What does she need? How is she doing? And to just ask, could you please not you know, if if she then like goes around telling her siblings and like you guys have a big conflict, like that's a separate conversation. But what's happened so far, she hasn't violated your agreement. You are just a little more uncomfortable with it than you thought you were. And that's a, a little bit of discomfort in this situation, I think, is fine. I mean, you can you can have those feelings and make sure you are clear with yourself and with others what those feelings are and making Mm -hmm. sure you're negotiating between expressing some of those feelings and then not shaming or judging. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like, God, these parents just aren't cool enough. That's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. I think they're trying to do their best. But I think perhaps if you try to act like you're a little more comfortable with it than you are and something comes up that makes you realize, oh, I'm actually really threatened by this, um, you might be inclined to react without thinking in a way that's not helpful for anyone. Um, And I think probably what you would love to see is for your daughter to receive like the best treatment for her depression and anxiety and for her to be able to work in a way that um, is like creative and fulfilling and she enjoys and can make enough money to live on. Um, Maybe like moving out on her own is not a goal that you all have for the next year or two, but maybe it is for someday. And um, you want her to be healthy and well, and you want your other children to be able to have uh, a childhood where they're not kind of like given a lot of specific information about the details of phone sex operator work um, before they're 18. And I think those are all really achievable goals. I really do. But I think what needs to happen here is not you transgressed, now we punish, but what do you need? What do we want? What are our goals? How can we work together? Open conversation. Yeah, don't. Don't throw your kids out if they're going through a really hard time and they're not putting anyone in danger. I think that that is kind of where I would always lean more towards. And I'm always going to lean a little more towards wanting to be protective of an 18-year-old who does phone sex work because the world's not going to look out for that girl very much. And if you... If you if you're not if she's not in your house, I don't think she's going to get more support elsewhere. Um, And so I just, you know, my heart goes out to all of you, but especially to her. I'm with you. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. well, uh, that's kind of the big one. I just I hope we get an update on that. I really hope we do. I hope they they write back and let us know if they're able to have a conversation and if they learn something maybe they didn't know about or um, if they're able to find some additional ways of supporting her that's helpful. All right, Lisa, do you want to read one? Sure. Uh, Why don't we go with friend insists she knows me better than I know myself. Oh, yes. A friend I've had for 18 plus years, L, has recently, one, set me up on a surprise date against my expressed wishes. Two, told me I don't want to be married just because my parents are divorced. Three, insisted I will change my mind about having babies and done smaller actions to invalidate my life choices. It came to a head last year at another friend's wedding, and while there was no scene, I have been purposely distant because I have been so angry at her. Currently, Elle is pregnant and is trying to get me to come to her baby shower. How do I let go of my anger and let her be in my life again? Boy, has anyone ever changed their mind about having children because enough people said to them, you're going to change your mind about having children in the history of time? Uh, people certainly get pressured into having children, and then we kind of make it impossible for them to express ambivalence once there are children on the scene. So, mm. Mm, yeah, yeah, just big, powerful mm. sounds straight from the gut. It's just um, kind of remarkable to me, at least based on the letters we get, the degree to which people feel really free to psychoanalyze, psychoanalyze, psychoanalyze their friends and family. Uh, just in this really kind of casual way, just like, oh, I know why you don't feel like getting married. Your parents are divorced, which is a, like you would never say that to a stranger. It is amazing to me the degree to which people are like, ah, you're my friend. I can be unbelievably rude to you. Yeah, I, I'm just um, there are often so many letters like these where I'm I'm wondering where the sense of obligation comes from. So Mm -hmm. she's saying 18 years. Yes, I understand that is a long friendship. Mm -hmm. 
However, the only bits of information we have to deal with in this letter have to do with some pretty atrocious things that were said Mm -hmm. with nothing to counterbalance. There was nothing in there to say, you know, sometimes... She says dumb shit. Yeah, but we otherwise have a wonderful time together. She's really supportive. We play backgammon. Yeah. Um, and sometimes she talks out of her ass, but then she apologizes and sure. we move on. Sure. But there's none of that here. Yeah. So what? what is, I mean, other than the length of time, I'm seeing um, no redeeming qualities in this yeah. friendship. Um, do you agree? I, I do not see any in the letter. I feel like there's kind of two ways this could go, right? One is... This is just a friendship that's lasted a long time. It's not a good friendship that has developed with time. Right. And she should actually ask herself, you know, do I want this person in my life? Uh, because maybe you don't. I feel like more people people often get mad at rom-coms for, like, upholding a strange idea about relationships, like romantic relationships. But I feel like an even bigger lie that's propagated in movies is it's really fun when your friends meddle in your life. Right. You know, when your friends say, I hear what you're saying you want, but I've decided I know better and I'm going to go behind your back and like call that guy that I believe you're seriously in love with or make you go on a date or, you know, do something on your behalf against what you've said you want. And that's just a lousy thing to do. Yeah, it's all pretty horrifying. If your friend says, I don't want to get married and I don't want to be set up on dates, even if you really disagree, even if you think that in their heart of hearts, they burn to wed and they just want that more than anything in the world, you don't actually get to make that call for them. Like, let that need for control go. Not everyone's going to get the life that you think they should have. And just because you've known them in a really long time does not give you the right to say, well, guess what? Fuck you. I've got a guy waiting for you in this coffee shop, and I've told him everything about you, and he's going to marry you whether you like it or not. Well, exactly. But also... Maybe ask yourself, why am I so invested Mm -hmm. in my friend uh, making certain choices? Yeah. You know, as she so she's saying she does not want to get married. Why are you so invested in her getting married? Because you're afraid of death. That could be one. (laughs) This this podcast could be retitled just like a queer (laughs) critique of futurity, except for I'm not sure how you pronounce futurity or if that's correct. And I haven't read enough on the subject. But yes, I am convinced that this is all stemming from this fear of death and this need to have everyone settled and reproducing, like, in schedule, on schedule and, like, according to your whims. And it's just like, that's not going to happen and you're still going to die. I would say it's partly that. And I think it's always going to be partly about death. Now I'm psychoanalyzing her. So I'm doing the thing <laughs> I said she shouldn't do. I apologize <laughs> to this person, L. No, I think that I think uh, we're but we're being asked here. Right. Isn't that the difference? Like we're being asked as opposed to this friend. Yeah. Is just, yeah. Yeah. Good. We are better. We are substantially different. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just think you need to maybe step back and think, um, do I dislike her choices because I resent her freedoms? Do I resent all of the choices she gets to make in her life because she is not pinned down on a certain path. Maybe that's what's going on. Yeah, and I think the letter writer needs to ask herself, do I want to let go of my anger? Maybe you don't. Maybe you would like to not preserve this friendship, and you should at least consider that option. Like, it might be that you do have a wonderful, rich friendship, and you are interested in preserving it, but at least take a minute and say, what would it look like if, um, you know, I just wished her well and didn't go, and, and just let that relationship naturally end 
Well, I think um, the the letting go of anger brings up an interesting question, which is, uh, is is experiencing anger necessarily just a bad thing in and of itself, something that must be let go? I would say in this case, you are justified to be angry because your friend is said a number of terrible things to you. And I think, yeah, I, I think it can often feel like if I have a friend, we can't experience much conflict. Right. But I think a real friendship can withstand it. And and if you do want to preserve this friendship, the first step is not let go of the anger. The first step is tell her. Right. Like you, you said there was no scene at the wedding. I think you guys need a scene. Not like a scene where you say, and you're a jerk and you've never listened to me and I've always resented it. But a scene where you say, we really need to talk. Like, what you did sucked, and it made me really angry. And if you do it again, I don't think we can continue a friendship because it makes me feel like you don't listen to me, like you look down on me, and you think you know my mind better than myself. Like, I'm not not getting married because my parents got divorced, and that's really insulting for you to suggest that you know my reasons. Um, also, a lot of people's parents have been divorced, and they still get married. That's a very – it's not even good armchair psychoanalyzing. Although I think that's – that may be the rudest thing she said, but I'm still stuck on the the setting her up with someone against her express wishes. Oh, I can't that just sounds that. mortifying. I, I, Plus, I, you're involving someone else, so this third party is involved right? in this embarrassing scene. I, like I hate going out to eat with someone who reveals that they ate an hour earlier. You know, like I'm so embarrassed at the idea. Oh, no, I've like taken you out to a meal. And now you're just watching me eat. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine someone saying I really don't want to be set up and then think, you know what that means? I should set them up. Oh, yeah. horrifying. Yeah. I think you need to have an argument with her. It doesn't it, you don't have to have a scene. You don't have to yell. You don't have to say you're a monster. But um, I, I think it's really appropriate for you to, to say we got to talk because what happened cannot happen again. And if it does, it's really going to hurt our friendship. And I want you to hear that from me. I'm not trying to give you secret signals to pull me out of myself. Uh, I, I do not give you permission to do that. I want you to listen to me. And if she can do that and if she can apologize, sure, maybe maybe you guys can grow closer as a result and and have a different maybe slightly modified friendship where you let her in a little bit less than you used to until you feel you can trust her. But whatever's going to happen next, there's got to be at least an argument. It can be calm if you if you want, but you've got to you've got to talk it out. Yeah. And I think the way you do that is you carve out some time that is not uh, connected to the hoopla of a right. wedding and a shower and sure. all of that. You can get coffee and discuss it the best you can right give it a go but do it do it in a in a way that is uh outside of the um wedding madness yes because here's the deal is uh, friendship is a long game this is not about how do i attend her baby shower comfortably like that shouldn't be your goal because this conversation might be able to happen before it might happen after your goal should be can we have another 18 years of friendship uh and and that requires trust that requires vulnerability that requires apology and that requires compassion um and so for you to find a time like maybe things are really crazy between now and the baby shower and you won't be able to have that conversation and in that case maybe you make your apologies make up a, a conflict and you don't go to that baby shower but the most important thing is to figure out can the two of you be friends as adults who lead different lives and make different choices um, because if your goal is just how do I make this baby shower smooth, you know, you might lose out on that friendship. And I think you should look at this from the perspective of what do I want our friendship to look like in another 18 years? 
Because in another 18 years, that baby's going to be 18. You know, she's not going to have, it's not going to be a baby anymore. And you'll have to figure out, well, now what do I do with the next part of my life? Right. And that's going to matter too. Life is long, unless it's not. And um, you should think of your friendship in the same way. The only thing I would add is now I am embarrassed that I kept on saying wedding when we were talking about a baby shower. It's so unforgivable, Lisa. Well, um, I'm just saying that was embarrassing for me, but not as mortifying as being set up against my will. Oh, my that God. I would walk fills out, by the way. With dread. If somebody set me up against my will, unless I walked in and it was just like that girl Danny from season one of A Shot at Love with Tila Tequila. Like, unless it was her. You know the one I mean? The cute firefighter? No. Oh, she was so perfect. Anyways, unless it was her, I'm walking out. I'm, ne- I'm now realizing that I've had someone sort of try to set me up, and it was mortifying, and it was terrible. Like without your permission? It was, the f- it was someone my mom is in a choir with. Oh, wow. And choir lady just became obsessed with setting me up with her son, who was not even available and then kept on apologizing oh, to me boy. about this as it projecting as if you were like so disappointed projecting heartbreak you could on my behalf when she had no idea so i was embarrassed for me mm-hmm. i was embarrassed for her mm-hmm. i was embarrassed for her son knowing there must be a just a whole world of discomfort Mm-mm. Um, having to do with his mom sharing his dating life with complete strangers such as myself. In the fifth grade, my friend Nicole was convinced that I had a crush on Sean Crock, who wore the same Metallica shirt to school every day. And so she told him during recess and uh, I kept running away from him, which looks like a crush behavior, but I was really just embarrassed because I didn't have a crush on him. Sean, if you're listening, I think you're a great guy. You were pretty nice in fifth grade and your Metallica t-shirt was actually kind of cool, but you just need to know I did not have feelings for you and it's not going to work out. But wait, did she th- assume you had a crush because of his shirt? No, she just like wanted me to have a crush on somebody. Oh, okay. And okay. I, I, you know, I came late to the crush game. And so she was just like, it's time for you to have a crush. And I, I like, here you I, go. Here's he one. was clearly like, the, the last like boy I had had an interaction <laughs> with. Or she just, I don't know, maybe she thought I had some sort of like secret Metallica energy. I don't really know what her, okay, what her thoughts were, but uh, did not work out. All right. Next letter. Uh, Lack of physical affection. Mm. Oh, this one's going to be sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you are frequently asked this question, but I was wondering if you could provide the actual words to use to start the a- conversation about the waning intimacy in my marriage. We've been married for about 25 years, and he's a great husband and provider, and while affectionate, does not seem to be really interested in actually having sex. I have no reason to believe that there is any infidelity happening either. The longer this goes on, the weirder and more embarrassing this is getting. You always seem to phrase things so perfectly. Can you help? One thing I would like to say here is do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, Mm. Literally any conversation you have with your husband saying, we don't have sex anymore and that makes me sad, is better than not saying anything. Uh, Yeah, I I would love to offer you some really beautiful turn of phrase, but I honestly think just anything would be good to say right now. So, okay, I think I can, I will venture something sort of specific. Please do. So I would say two things. Um, One is selecting a time and a place, probably not like in your bed about to go to sleep. Sure. Yeah. So be vertical or at least sitting. Yeah. So not, not in the bedroom, not, I I think at a time that is not uh, typically expected for 
lovemaking. Like right after Blue Bloods? Sure. Sorry, that was from Bad Moms. <laughs> Kristen Bell's character says, We make love every week Friday nights after Blue Bloods. I find Tom Selleck's work to be very erotic. And I have apparently memorized that line. <laughs> she delivers it beautifully. I loved her immensely, and I wish that she was the Joker in Suicide Squad. Oh, wow. You're just you're dropping gems here. Sorry. Uh, do not apologize. So, okay. Not, not in the bedroom. Not at nighttime. I would say another time. And maybe... One way to start is ask your partner how they feel about your love life. So kind of test test the waters. See see what they think and kind of start delving into it there because I think there's obviously a big disconnect here and it's, you know, maybe time to start finding out why that is. Yeah, and I think this is also a conversation that could presumably not begin with maximum honesty. Yes. Like he might at first say, it seems fine to me. Um, And since it's not fine to you, and it's also possible he's embarrassed to talk about what else is going on, because obviously there could be any number of issues going on. He might also very well be happy with it. And that would be good information for you to have. Because if he says, actually, this waning intimacy is great for me. I love our relationship. I'm very happy rarely having sex. And this is an ideal for me. You should know that because then you can decide either... Can I compromise with that? Or is that unbearable to me? Or something in between where you would want to, um, you know, continue having a conversation. But yeah, to like start by asking, but also kind of be aware this is not going to be a five minute conversation. Sure. Because this is about a 25 year marriage. So this is going to be you might have this conversation several times over several days and weeks and months. Um But but also like really think about like, what do you want? Like what makes you feel loved and desired? Like, is it. A number of times a month? Is it feeling like you don't have to initiate every time? Is it fill in the blank with your own particular, uh, you know, intimate desire? But um, I think you should just start with, I've noticed we have sex way less often than we used to. And I would like to talk to you about that. I know that can feel really uncomfortable. I don't want you to feel like you're in trouble or that I'm trying to say there's something wrong with you. Um, You know, obviously both of us are in this marriage and this is a dynamic that we've created together. I feel vulnerable sharing this with you. I feel a little embarrassed. I don't want to be rejected. I love you. I want to feel loved and be known. Um, And I want to have this conversation. I want you to feel like you can share anything with me and I will do my best to listen to you when you say it. Um, and, and to mean that, like if he comes to you and he shares something with you that you find really hard to hear, try to at least receive it in the moment in a spirit of love, because, you know, presumably there's a lot that's good about your marriage and, and you're you're you should be able to have a conversation with the person you get naked with. And that doesn't mean that every relationship has to be incredibly serious and commitment based. But even if you're in a casually sexual relationship, you should be able to talk about the things you do together when you have sex. That is a good goal to have. Yes. Um and I'd say also, um, you know, a- approach it with with honesty, with vulnerability, um, without without judgment, um, mm-hmm. and really f- kind of focusing on what you're experiencing, what you would like to experience, yep. and be curious and open to what the other person has to say. And just name it. Um, one of the best ways to dispel embarrassment is to say, "I feel embarrassed." And sometimes that doesn't occur to us because it seems sort of silly and straightforward. But to just say, I feel embarrassed sharing this with you. I feel vulnerable. Um, 
that can make it feel less embarrassing. And once you've sort of broken the silence and acknowledged the embarrassment, like this person knows you pretty well, you can, I think you can both be embarrassed together. And once you've taken that step off of, ah, we don't talk about sex, things change, but we don't mention them to let's mention it. Um, it will get easier and you will find yourself being more eloquent as as the conversation goes on. Yes. Uh, in a totally separate tack, here's something that I think people shouldn't be proud of, which is this next letter. Mm. Uh, no one is doing their best here. Well, maybe one party. Uh, this one, the subject line is just, is my BFF marrying a racist? Exclamation point question mark. Dear Prudence, my best friend and I are both 34 and in long-term relationships. Her boyfriend is white and mine is Latino. The first and last time our boyfriends hung out together was about a year and a half ago. My friend and I went to a concert, the boys went golfing, and then stayed home drinking. Her boyfriend got really drunk and started spouting racist rhetoric to my boyfriend, and then tried to fight him. My boyfriend declined, walked away, and was ultimately the better person. Fast forward to now. Her boyfriend has never apologized. I don't really like him because of that and for other reasons. And my boyfriend just doesn't want to deal with the guy at all, and I don't really blame him. My best friend told me this weekend that they're getting married in November, and she wants me and my boyfriend there. My boyfriend said he will think about it, but he's just not sure about interacting with him. What do I do? Do I ask my boyfriend to suck it up for one evening just for my best friend? The wedding will be in Vegas, and I don't really want to go alone, but at the same time, I'm not happy she's marrying the guy either. I just don't want to miss it. She's been my best friend for over 30 years. Boy, here's another instance where just, like, duration Mm. of friendship is sort of presented as... Uh, obviously I can't do anything about it. We've known each other for a long amount of time, but like time just passes naturally. That's not an accomplishment necessarily. There's an, I don't know, that people talk about this like there's common law friendships. Like after I have never heard that expression before. <laughs> it just occurred to me, but it seems, it seems to like, oh, well, we've been friends for 15 years. So, well, I guess that's it. It's legally binding. It is not. I mean, sometimes you can be friends for 15 years and have 15 years worth of like increased intimacy and trust. And sometimes you were just friends at each other for a long time. And it just means that time passed. Yeah. Um, Should she go to this wedding, Lisa? Oh, my God. I I was like, I'm shaking my head. I also just kind of want to curl up into a ball. Um, Mostly, it, it really sounds like your friend is about to marry a racist dickhead. Um, And uh, guess what? Um, You know, it, that doesn't absolve your friend. I what friend? I I, I want to use air quotes here. Yeah. What kind of what kind of person is this? What kind of person is just like? Oh yeah, the last time you guys hung out, my boyfriend got wasted, said racist shit to you, and tried to fight you, and then never apologized. And that's okay with me. The, I mean, the levels of uh, absurdity. Like, yes, I, I'm this. This letter is making me angry. Yeah, I'm getting very. <laughs> And why? And then why would you do this to your boyfriend? Uh, yeah, but it, it should not be crossing your mind. Should I ask him to suck it up? No, you should not ask him to suck it up to go to the wedding of a guy he met once. And that guy wasn't able to keep his like drunk racist thoughts to himself for like four hours. No, your boyfriend should not have to be around that person ever And you should not ask that of him. It is wrong of you to ask that of him. So get that idea out of your mind right now. That's a non-starter. It is an absolute non-starter. Yeah. And and I frankly think you should reconsider going. I think so often I get letters where the underlying tone of the letter is nothing would be worse than making a scene. 
It's so much better to enable horrible behavior, especially when it comes from someone who routinely acts like an asshole, than it is to say, that's actually not acceptable and I'm going to leave. Because then you're calling out bad behavior and and that might make some people uncomfortable. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you should be uncomfortable. This calls for people being uncomfortable, especially the like white enablers who it sounds like are more interested in preserving comfort than in like making sure that your boyfriend doesn't have to sit around and listen to like a drunk racist tirade. Man. (laughs) I'm still kind of flummoxed by this. Like, no, say no. And also, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't understand what kind of friend this is. Uh, who is, um, Okay with marrying a racist. I'm 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 sorry. Like that's that's a bad well, idea. And frankly, if your friend has a partner like that, especially, I mean, the, you know, even if he was just racist and um not also violent, I mean, yeah. he, so that's the two. It's it's a real real twofer of a package here: racist yeah. and violent. Yeah, He's I like mean, a, he like threatened to hurt your boyfriend. Like this guy is a Trump rally. Like, what are you doing? being near this guy. And and one thing that I see a lot that I really dislike is this desire to use the transitive property to make time count for an apology. Mm. Like, oh, it happened a long time ago. Cool. Did he apologize? Then it doesn't matter. The earth goes around the sun. Time happens. Again, time is not an accomplishment. You have not done anything of value by allowing time to elapse since the last time you threw racial slurs at a near stranger and tried to hit him. That's not the same thing as trying to make it right, which he's clearly demonstrated he has no interest in doing. So I I don't care that it's been a year and a half. That shouldn't matter. What he did was still completely, completely unforgivable. And then he didn't even try to get he didn't even try to make it right. He didn't even ask for forgiveness. As far as we know, he thinks what he did was cool. Right. And he has not had to suffer any negative consequences from it. Um, and, and yeah, time is not an apology, guys. Uh, and you are, you are very free to cut out violent racists and people who associate with them you also from your have life. a moral You're... obligation to do so i think by the time mm. we're talking violent racism yeah this is a time you, so yeah don't ask your boyfriend to come to this wedding tell your friend i'm not going to come to your wedding here's why your boyfriend is a violent racist i don't support your wedding to him i think it's a mistake he tried to hurt my boyfriend and he hurled racial abuse at him because he wasn't white that's not acceptable then stop talking You don't have to justify it any more than that. If she tries to equivocate, if she tries to say, come on, it was a long time ago. Come on, he was drunk. Come on, like anything other than just, my God, you're right. I need to reconsider everything I'm doing. You have your answer. Like you don't have to justify cutting him out of your life. And I think you need to just be honest and say, that's not okay. Uh, And if you can't do that, I hope your boyfriend can find someone who would. Yeah. All right. Uh, those are all the letters that we have for right now, which is, uh, you know, those are all the problems for the week. Everyone else is just going to have to wait. Um, we're done. I want to close out by talking about something that I feel I need in my personal life and by extension, 
because I love universalizing my own experience that the world needs, uh, which is plausible deniability ashtrays. Um, Lisa, I think you're a non-smoker. I am a non-smoker. Good for you. That's such a good idea. Uh, I have quit smoking several times over the course of my adult life, um, usually pretty successfully. I think I quit for the first time when I was 23, uh, and that stuck for a couple of years. Then again at 25 and 28, and you might be able to tell from my voice right now, I'm currently smoking again, and it's not good for you. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I've, I've heard told. It's a very bad idea. And, and one of the things that's hardest about picking up smoking after you've really quit and just said, I'm, I'm not going to do this again. It's bad for my health. It's bad for the environment, uh, is that you, you don't want to admit it. Like mindfulness and smoking do not go together. Mm. So you don't like get an ashtray, uh, or have something to like keep butts in. So you end up like walking around holding cigarette butts in your hand, looking for the nearest trash can because you're a responsible adult and you don't want to litter just because you're smoking. Uh, and you end up ruining your favorite mug because you don't have an ashtray at home. And I need an ashtray that will say, you're not smoking again. You don't need to go out and purchase an ashtray. Just bring a cup out here. I'm sure you won't smoke again tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I mean, because if you start getting the accoutrements, like you're you're welcoming it back into your I life. Ruined, I ruined the only succulent plant I have ever been able to keep alive for more than a month because I was stubbing out my cigarettes in it. And that's bad for living on things. On the plant? Well, not on the plant. Like uh, You uh, monster. On the, on the edge of the pot. I think that's what killed it. And... So now Maybe I feel it was your contempt, Mallory. Now I feel like it, I feel like the mean monster in Fern Gully <laughs> that just belches smoke and destroys things, <laughs> and that's not a good way to feel. So what I need is an ashtray that just materializes uh, and says, "Don't worry, you don't have to think about this. Just pretend you're not smoking." Um, mm. I have a quit date in mind. I am cutting down in preparation for that horrible, horrible day, um, and I look forward to being smoke free again quite soon. Are you? Okay, is the solution maybe to get a vape pen and then be so embarrassed to use it that then you stop? I can't believe I'm admitting this on the Dear Prudence podcast, but the last time I quit smoking, I purchased an e-cigarette and um, I just would vape and then get cigarettes. It was not useful to me okay. quitting. Um, I, I, if maybe lots of people it's helped and that's wonderful, but then I just... I would just vape for hours because there's no end point. Like, you don't run out. You just uh, keep vaping. Okay. And so then it's... you feel like a creepy robot. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, it was so, not a good scene. All right. Then scratch that. No, the only the only thing, at least in, in my case, the only thing that really uh, works is just stopping. I don't, I don't do well with moderate smoking. I don't do well with, like, having a vape pen on hand. I can't. If I, if I open the door a little bit, out comes the fern gully monster. Mm. And it's just... Then everyone yells at me and I don't like getting... I love not getting yelled at. I would say the number one reason I want to quit smoking is to not get yelled at. Number two is my health. Number one is just uh, all my friends are mad at me. And they're right to. They're right to be mad. I, I apologize to each and every one of you. And I want everyone to know that I never litter my cigarette butts. I always dispose of them in a proper receptacle, even if it means carrying them around in my hand like a very creepy monster. <laughs> and if you are trying to quit smoking right now, I you have all of my love and support. Uh, you can do it. Uh, well, on that note, Lisa, I would like to thank you so much for coming into the studio today. It has been my entire pleasure, and thank I'm so glad I could be here. Thank you so much for teaching me a new name for HR. People Ops. Live it. Love it. Peep Ops. Pops. Yeah. Pops. 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 Thank you for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. 
and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews make you feel good about yourself and help new listeners find the podcast. Plus, we'd love to know what you think. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. And don't forget, if you want us to answer your question, you can also call and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you may hear your answer on an episode of the show. I can't promise you anything because nothing in life is certain. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds or a minute, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. That's prudencepodcast at gmail.com. Woo! 